Welcome to Intentionally Grounded, sponsored by GoRoute, simplifying scout teams through simple and direct coach-to-player communication. I am your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kesslering. Episode 28 features the former head coach of the University of Minnesota, Jerry Kill. Coach Kill talks about his career in coaching, his methods for building a staff and maintaining its loyalty, and the importance of motivating players and establishing relationships with them. Coach also talks about his favorite memories from his coaching days, as well as his continued dedication towards bringing awareness to epilepsy. It won't take long for you to see why players, staff, and fans still admire and love Coach Kill, and we were so thankful to have the opportunity to have him on our show. Coach Kill will be speaking at the South Dakota High School Coaches Association Clinic from March 23rd through March 24th on the campus of South Dakota State University in Brookings, South Dakota. For more information on how you can see Coach Kill live, along with other coaches such as Coach Gene Chiswick, go to sdhsca.org. That is sdhsca.org. Coaches, don't forget to check out our updated website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it'd be much appreciated if you could leave a review for us on iTunes to help grow our program and share our message with a larger community. Episode 3 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Jerry Kill starts now. Well, Coach, uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up in Kansas and how that shaped your future as a coach. Well, it probably shaped about everything. I grew up in a small town, teeny Kansas, a town of about... Uh, Oh, 2,500 to 2,000 and grew up out in the country and was raised the old school way, uh, you know, the, the way that I think we need to be raised now, but uh, grew up working uh, ever since I was 14 years old and helping out uh, in a farm community and, and uh, you know, it, it uh, taught me how to work and work hard and I had a very, uh, a father that was very, uh, you know, uh, tough, hard-nosed, uh, a perfectionist, uh, detailed, uh, taught me a lot of things. And, uh, you know, he was my hero, and uh, he worked my tail end off. So hard work was never a question. As as he said, it, it didn't take no talent to work hard. Coach, anybody that's followed your career would say that you're great at uh, turning programs around and turning them around quickly. Um You've been at Saginaw Valley, Emporia State, uh, Northern Illinois, and then obviously Minnesota and Rutgers. What about the rebuilding process at some of those schools is so appealing to you? Well, I think, I, you know, I think a lot of it is I learned uh, early uh, when I went to, uh, you know, uh, Pittsburgh State University, and I was with Coach Franchoni, and I also played for him. And uh, he was always in rebuilding programs, and I was a part of it, and uh even at Web City High School. And I, I just think there's, you know, throughout those years, you know, you develop a guy that, uh, you know, can take a program that's on top and keep it on top or a guy that builds programs. And I was one that got kind of labeled as the, the guy that builds programs. And, uh, you know, we did it with a certain vision and, and uh, principles to get to that vision and, uh, and accomplish uh, our goals. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, we didn't drift off that too much all the way through um, and uh, was able to keep, uh, you know, it, it pretty well intact. You know, it changes a little bit as you go up the ladder, uh, but the principles and the basic uh, fundamentals you talk about all the time don't change. 
Coach, what factors would you credit for your success in turning programs? Is there a certain formula that you would use, or, or what would you credit to your success? Uh, keeping staff. You know, when you when you go in and turn programs around, you, you can't – you don't have time to sit there and teach a bunch of new staff members. So when I came up through the, the ranks, I kept uh, – you know, um, you know, if I didn't leave a guy that's going to be uh, a head coach behind, which I, I've had one of those and also one that went and was a head coach. But the, uh, the unique thing I had probably was I, I had probably four or five guys that were with me somewhere between 20 and 21 years and others, three or four, 16, probably somewhere in there. And uh, we, did, we had good staff continuity. So we, we added somebody on each stop or two that uh, they could learn uh, quickly, but we had the, you know, I had Tracy Clays and Matt Limegrove who were coordinators that have been with me a long time. And uh, we didn't have to stop and teach anybody because we had to go to work on rebuilding and, and we've done it before. So we, uh, we were able to move programs along uh, quicker than most people would. And certainly this day and age, uh, I think our staff at one time was the, uh, the longest tenured staff, us in Virginia Tech, of uh, people that uh, we kept together. And uh, I don't think you'll ever see that again, the way the money is and everybody runs the one job to the next. Coach, you just kind of hit on a little bit about, about your assistant coaches and players could be added to that as well, about your ability to just build those relationships and, and keep guys with you. Like you said, there, it's it's hard to keep guys now in this day and age. What are some of the keys to building those relationships and getting guys to buy in, um, coaches too, especially to the to the team concept? Well, I, I think the the loyalty that I showed for them when I was coming up, I didn't go out and hire, you know, Division One coaches. I kept our guys together and gave them the opportunity to be the head coach when I left. Uh, but uh, you know, most of them must want to stay along, and I think they appreciated, you know. Uh, my strength coach had been with me all the way from Saginaw Valley State and uh, Eric Klein and Rob Reeves had been. so, and, and I took care of them. Every time I went somewhere, I made sure they were taken care of before I was. Because I always told the ADs, you'll take care of me someday because we'll win. But I need these assistant coaches to stay with me. So I think my philosophy is take care of our people and then eventually you'll get taken care of. And it's And then the players is uh, we took care of the players. We may not have had great facilities. We may not have had uh, all the bells and whistles, but we did take care of players, and we are going to put them in the best equipment we had. We were going to take care of them, uh, whether it's training table or whatever. You know, we are going to take care of our players, and I think our players respected that. You know, they always came first. You know, our coaches didn't ride in first class when we, when we went on the road. Our offensive line and defensive line did. You know, so, uh, you know, uh, coaches had one in games. You went up with players and recruiting. And, uh, you know, uh, we we got known around the country as people that took care of players and graduated them. And, Coach, building off that a little bit, you know, talking about your players and your connection with them, how did you continue to keep all of your players motivated, whether it be your first string, you know, starting quarterback or maybe the last guy on the bench? It seemed like all of your players seemed connected and bought into the process that you instilled. Well, I think we treat, you know, you don't treat everybody the same. You treat everybody fairly, but you can't treat them the same because they come from all different kind of backgrounds and different places. And uh, I think that we did a good job of, you know, we, we, we did we did a lot of things from, 
you know, we, we did a great job, I think, in player development where we keep, uh, you know, uh, during Thursdays or Friday, we keep uh, the players out for a scrimmage. But uh, we uh, pra- when we practice on the practice field, everybody practiced. We didn't have anybody staying around, you know. We, we had everybody working, everybody doing something. We sold them. Everybody had a job to do. And if you just did your job, we were going to win. And, shoot, if we could do it in our companies and corporations now, and, you know, and me being an athletic director and a special assistant to the chancellor now, I'm just trying to, it's like I tell the grownups, hey, do your job. That's all you got to do, and we'll be successful. But uh, shoot, the grownups are harder than the kids. You <laughs> yeah. Know, you, yeah, they, they really are. You get you get players to do their job. Getting the grownups does a different thing. Coach, you talked, I mean, it's no secret that your players were passionate about you and passionate playing for you. Um, you've been fortunate enough to coach some really, really good football players. If, if you could have your Mount Rushmore of players that you've coached in your career, who would it be and why? Oh, I've got so many that, you know, that's hard to, that's hard to say. I mean, just running backs alone, you know, uh, through my career. I mean, we just, I don't know. I, I, I just think we have some great players. I, I hate singling people out. Um, you know, you would, you know, uh, I know back at Southern Illinois, uh, we had, uh, um, you know, Brandon Jacobs. And, of course, he's a freak of nature being 6'4", 260, and and was a running back. Archie Whitlock was on that same team. And, uh, and then we had Terry Jackson, who led the Big Ten in rush, and I believe he transferred to our place. He was third team on that Southern Illinois team. That's how good we were in the backfield. And, uh, so, um, I don't know, Bart Scott, uh, great player, uh, you know, great athlete, uh, good person graduated, you know, Brandon graduated, um, you know, those were some, some guys. And then I, you know, you just keep going to Northern Illinois. Larry English was a tremendous player, uh, great mode, but they all have one thing in common. They had great character. You know, Jimmy Ward, great character. Eric Murray, you know, starting with the Chiefs right now. Brian Body Calhoun starting with uh, the Browns right now. Two secondary guys. All had They all had the same thing. They had great character. And they were smart players. You know, we, we didn't recruit players that weren't smart. And the ones that uh, weren't smart couldn't play. You know, uh, it's too, too difficult of a game. And I think people just go out and take athletes and, I always said you got to get the best players. That always doesn't mean the best athlete, the best football player. And there's a difference. And, you know, there's a lot of great football players out there, but they can't get lined up. And uh, you beat yourself more than the other team beats you. And uh, that was always our philosophy. But to just single one particular player, I mean, you know, it, it would uh, – I'm blessed. I coached a lot of good ones. That's why we won games. The game of football continues to – to evolve year in, year out with the blending of different systems and the evolution of others. Um, but if you could have the ideal personnel to run the system of your dreams, what would be the offensive and defensive philosophies for Coach Kale and why? Well, I'd, I'd give some defense is that uh, being a team, uh, we always based out of the 4-3 the, the defense, and, and then we match personnel with the nickel back, and we always, uh, you know, we had – you know, we carried, you know, in recruiting 10, 11 defensive backs, and, you know, you got to be able to play the nickel and dime. And then, 
the the length of pass rushers. I think when you start a defense, you got to have guy rush passer, and uh, you know we usually try to play wide defensive ends with guys that can rush the passer and uh, two great corners and uh, and and a, and a good Mike linebacker. You know, being good down the middle. Uh, but we're a four-three team, but we also were multiple enough to play the Oki scheme and a lot of Oki scheme on third down mix it in and and then you're making offenses think a lot man the guy that's uh, been on defense and offense i mean it's hard when when you're seeing both those fronts and uh and being able to execute both those fronts is very difficult but uh we we kept things simple but we did a lot of good things out of them and you know tracy clays is probably one of the top defensive coordinators in the country right now you know working with leach and uh out of washington state so you know, our, our defensive scheme was pretty pretty good, and he had a lot to do with it. From the offensive side of the ball, you know, uh, being different is good sometimes. And, uh, you know, I'm a guy, you know, you spread them out a little bit and you, you keep them honest. But, you know, I believe in running the football, playing great defense, field position, keep the game close and win in the fourth quarter because that's what we had to do with the personnel we had. So if I was – Picking somebody that we would look like, you know, uh, North Dakota State. North Dakota State was uh, very similar to what we did offensively, and they're pretty good. I think they've won about seven national championships or whatever, <laughs> eight, nine, whatever they've won. But, you know, a football team that can spread it out, a quarterback that can throw it. But when it comes down to the time you got to run the ball, you know, you can run the ball. So uh, multiple, but uh, – uh, more, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, just like North Dakota State, that's really uh, kind of who we who we were, a little bit of Boise, um, you know, that type of offense. Coach, talk a little bit about some of the venues you've been lucky enough to coach in, and obviously the Big Ten's full of great places. Give us your top three favorite uh, road trips that you've been on as a head football coach. When I was in Northern Illinois, we went to Tennessee. And there's nothing like playing at Tennessee in front of 110,000 people. And certainly when they're quiet, because in the fourth quarter, we had a chance to beat them. We're down on their 12-yard line, you know, play from beating them. And uh, But it was uh, a great venue uh, to play in. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, playing at uh, Ann Arbor and uh, it, in, in front of 110, 115,000 people. And... Uh, and uh, we were fortunate enough to beat them, and it was awful quiet in there, carrying around a little brown jug. So that was a that was a, a great place to play. And then, uh, oh, there's like I said, there's a lot of them. I, I would say, you know, if you look at the Big Ten and everybody talks about toughest places to play, I would surprise you and tell you Iowa, because Iowa is is just the toughest place. I'm not going to, and, and we're fortunate, you know, but at times, but. Uh, when you go there to play, uh, those people are crazy. They, you know, they are flat crazy. And I mean, they, they are loud and they're right on top of you. And, uh, you know, uh, I tell you what, like I said, you talk about Ohio state, you can talk about Penn state, you know, play to Penn state, all that stuff. But when it comes down to being fans that are, you know, just flat crazy about football, you know, uh, then Wisconsin, you know, both those places uh, make it difficult on you. No question about that. 
Coach, I don't know if you know this, but uh, John's a huge Iowa fan. He's from Iowa. Uh, so like that, that comment just made his day. He just lit up like a Christmas tree. But um, no, uh, I don't like Iowa. I don't like <laughs> Iowa. I said that's a good hard place to play. <laughs> Let's and get one thing I straight. wasn't even going to say anything, Coach. Brian, I'm glad Brian said something. I'd never. This is the most fun podcast we've done in two years. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I will tell you this: we enjoyed the pig a couple of years. I was there. I'm not that long to you. <laughs> well, coach, of all the games and moments you've experienced in your career, you've obviously had some really good moments and some signature wins that have really made you know your coaching career something to be extremely proud of. What are some of your most proud moments as a coach, and why were they your most proud moments? Well, there's there's uh, several. You know, you go all the way back to high school winning the state championship at Web City was certainly exciting and coaching a team that's 25 and 1 and I still think high school football is still the purest game there is. And then uh, Pittsburgh State, we won the national championship and, and I was offensive coordinator. So winning the, winning the state and the national championships uh pretty special. Then um, you go in the, you know, latter, the part of the career at Southern Illinois, beating Western Illinois for the first time in 17 years on the last play of the game. And uh, we'd lost to him 17 straight years. It was a, a pretty special win. Uh, you know, at Northern Illinois, I think uh, uh, we beat uh, Temple in a, in a real pressure game and also Toledo, uh, which they'd struggled with Toledo. And they were two two great football games. And then at Minnesota, you know, there's a lot of good memories because they hadn't done a lot of things since about you know, 1960, 61, uh, you know, we beat Nebraska for the first time. And I don't know, you'd have to go back on it, but it was 40 some odd years and beating, beating them at home and then going to beat them in Lincoln. Uh, I mean, I'll never forget those moments. Uh, I'm sorry to uh, your partner in crime there and so <laughs> forth, but, uh, you know, when we carrying that pig around, you know, our stadium uh, was a big feat. Uh, you know, everybody in the, in the, everybody that, could, you know, that could get on the field, got on the field, uh, beating uh, Penn State and getting the bell. We had three or four of the trophies, but we couldn't get Wisconsin, and Wisconsin had great teams. Uh, that's the one that, you know, we were one game away from, you know, being in the Big Ten championship game, I think three years, and Wisconsin kept us out of it, and uh, they were, they were, uh, they were a handful, but they they had great they had great teams. But uh, we we had some, you know, we had some real signature wins that uh, you know they hadn't done there in, in ages. And of course, you know, the one in Ann Arbor, uh, it don't it don't get better than that. You know, to keep all them people in blue filing out of that stadium, that's a good feeling. <laughs> Coach, we're going to shift the conversation just a little bit away from football. Um, you've been very active in the fight against epilepsy, um, and you brought awareness to the condition through your Trace, Chasing Dreams Foundation. Um, what led you to creating the foundation, and, and what are some of the initiatives that you're passionate about or currently working on that you want our listeners and viewers to be aware of? Well, I think when you get uh, it's something that, you know, I wanted to really keep quiet. And, uh, of course, when you do it in front of a million people, it's not going to stay quiet. And I was put on a platform where you can run or hide or, you know, come out and, and take a stand and see what you can do. And a lady named Vicki Compl- Compl- uh, 
um, Vicky Copeland, uh, you know, talked me into, you know, taking a stage and, and standing up. And, uh, so, uh, we started, uh, we went to uh, camp Oz, which is a camp for kids that have, some of them have seizures, you know, you know, once a day, five times a day. And this was a place where they could be with people just like them. And, uh, we got involved in that and wanted to make sure that camp was taken care of. So, you know, through the Chase and Dreams Foundation, we started to say, hey, we're going to get involved in this because people don't understand epilepsy. They don't understand seizures. They don't, you know, CTE, all that stuff that's involved with the brain. Nobody understands it. And so uh, we got into educating the schools uh, in the state of Minnesota uh, what to do if somebody had seizures. Uh, we got involved at Camp Oz and made it to where, it, you know, it's going to go on forever and ever. And, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to give a place for kids that, you know, where they could go. And now I'm working with uh, the National Foundation with Phil Catone on uh, trying to raise money, you know, uh, for research. Because right now, you know, uh, you're hearing more and more and more now about seizures. I think one out of 25 people have epilepsy now. And then you've got, you know, the CTE thing and you know, there's just a lot of things that uh, people got to study about the brain and nobody talks about epilepsy. You know, they talk a lot about cancer and I've had that, but, you know, nobody really seems to understand it. So I think the more you get people to understand it, then the more research dollars we have, the the better maybe we can get it under control because uh, there, there's, unless you've been through it, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't, you don't understand it and you have no control. You have absolutely no control. And so that's, that's not a great feeling when you have no control. Well, to kind of wrap things up here a little bit, coach, um, if you could give one piece of advice to our younger coaches, what would it be and why? Listen, you know, listen to your elders, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, go and, and, uh, Study the game, uh, meet other coaches, uh, you know, uh, but keep learning the game and, and listen uh, to the people that have been in the game a long time. And I think sometimes younger people think they know it all, not just in coaching, but, in, you know, they get out of college and think they ought to be the head coach or the offensive coordinator. You know, I lived in a trailer house for three years, and, you know, I think the most money I ever made was 10000 I think the two first years I was making $250 a month. And, uh, you know, it took me a long time to get where I'm at, where some of these guys, they come out and, you know, they get done playing and want to be a GA, you know, for two years and then be the offensive coordinator. And uh, we had, in the old days, we had to pay our dues. And that's what you stick around a lot longer if you know what you're talking about. And the only way you can do that is be around good people. So I would suggest with those young coaches – is to make sure you get with the right coach, surround yourself with good people, and be patient and learn the game. Because some people get thrown into those head coaching jobs too quick, and then uh, they're not very successful. That's great stuff, Coach. Um, as we kind of wrap up here to end our show, we kind of have a, a tradition. Um, every time your podcast plays and we, we play it on our show, um, we have a, a warm-up song or a leading song. It's like if you were a professional wrestler or a professional baseball player, what would your song be and why? Well, you know, it'd be uh, 
pretty easy. Uh, I think uh, Joe Paterno, I would say, had to start the song a long time ago, but, um, you know, uh, but it's been something that uh, people have always said about me. And uh, when I was walking out the door about Rutgers is one thing about Coach Kill, he did it his way. So I'd say a little bit of Frank Sinatra isn't bad. <laughs> 